Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Matthew 18, starting to read at verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants, who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you, unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Sandra, thank you uh, very much indeed. Uh, Do please keep that Bible passage open in front of you. Uh, We, uh, earlier, Gareth and I, as we were preparing uh, to come out for the first service, couldn't believe that it's only a week ago that it was uh, Easter weekend. It seems to have uh, flown by and so many other things seem to have crammed in that it was just a week ago. And of course, last weekend, we were thinking about the glorious truth of the cross and resurrection. What a great weekend it was as we gazed upon the cross of Jesus Christ. And I trust if we're Christians, reveled in the forgiveness that is ours because of his death. We celebrated being right with God and being able to face our death with confidence. It was a brilliant weekend. 
And it was right that we remembered all of that. Uh, but today, we're not only going to remember that, that his death um, has an impact for the future, that I can face God with confidence because I'm forgiven, but that his forgiveness makes a difference in the way I relate to other people now. We're going to sort of carry on then with Easter, but think about the difference it should make to us day by day. Well, as we do, let's uh, pray together. Heavenly Father, we've been singing of grace, of your grace, unmeasured, vast, free, a grace that paid for our sin and brought us life. And we pray that as we think of that and as we uh, revel in it, uh, we would see what it means for, not least of all, our relationships with others. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, do please uh, keep in front of you Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35, and this parable of uh, the uh, unmerciful servant. Jesus told this parable in response to Peter's question. And if you're um, taking notes, then uh, here's the first heading. The question, how often should I forgive? That's uh, verse 21. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Uh, Just before this, Jesus had taught that Every believer is precious, so precious that he told his disciples in that section before that um, we should go out of our way to bring about reconciliation when others have sinned against us. And that prompted Peter to ask this question. You can just imagine the scene as Jesus taught. Up went Peter's hand at the back of class. Verse 21, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? See, the question itself tells us that Peter understood what Jesus was saying. When we live under God's rule, we're to make every attempt to be reconciled to other believers. That means forgiving other Christians when they wrong us. But how many times are we expected to do that? It's such an important question. It is a real question of real life. I know Christian people who are harboring a grudge against others. They're stuck in the past because they've never dealt properly with something that offended them, sometimes years ago. I meet people who are bitter and twisted over wrongs done to them months, years ago. And as it's built up over the years, it's become bigger and bigger in their minds. They refuse to forgive someone, and then it colours so much of their lives. When that happens in a church family, it has an impact on the whole church fellowship. Unresolved conflict and unforgiven sin is like yeast in a batch of dough. It works its way through the whole batch. Being unwilling to forgive is a terrible thing. Being willing to forgive is crucial for the health and well-being of a church family. Because forgiveness is a, is a foundation of the gospel we enjoy. That's what we were remembering last Easter as we thought about, thought about the cross of Jesus Christ. It is simply not acceptable in God's kingdom to be at loggerheads with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so Peter's question is right on the money. How many times shall I forgive? And look, uh, Peter's question shows a real attempt to obey Jesus. Verse 21, should I forgive as many as seven times? See, that really would be quite something because the grievance he's describing here is a significant one. The word for sin in verse 21 is a serious sin. The only other time that it's used in Matthew's gospel is in chapter 27 and verse 4, when Judas Iscariot, just before hanging himself, says, I have sinned, I have betrayed innocent blood, a really serious sin. 
So when this word sin is used in Matthew's gospel, it suggests a very serious offence. So what Peter is saying here is, if another Christian sins against me, seriously offending me, really hurting me, how many times should I forgive them? As many as seven times? See, that really would be something, wouldn't it? Just imagine the same Christian person hurting you, offending you, betraying you again and again and again and again and again and again and again. Just imagine it. Someone does something really offensive and you find it in your heart to forgive them. You patch up your relationship with them and just as things are beginning to settle down between you and you begin to feel that your relationship is getting back on track, they do it again. And even though it's hard, you find it in your heart to forgive them and you talk it through with them and you sort it out and everything's beginning to get right between you and then they do it again. Imagine that happening seven times and each time you forgive. Do you see Peter is making a real attempt to engage with Jesus' teaching? How many times shall I forgive? Up to seven times? Seven times forgiving someone who really seriously sins against you. That would be mightily impressive. And note, this is about forgiving another Christian. See verse 21. How many times shall I forgive my brother? That's important because it is harder, I think, forgiving other Christians than forgiving other people. Some years back, I met with a Christian guy who was having very serious problems at work. I used to work in London with people who were Christians in the workplace. That was my job. He was being mistreated in the office just because he was a Christian. One or two colleagues made his life a a real misery at work. And uh, I've got to say, he was a remarkable example of grace and forgiveness in that situation. But on one occasion when we met, because we'd begun to meet up regularly, I tried to support him and encourage him. On one occasion when we met, he looked really downcast. And I asked him what was wrong, and he told me how a Christian in the church that he was part of had been cruel to him and spread rumours about him. And he said to me, all this abuse at work, it hurts, but I can cope with it because I expect that from the world. But when a Christian acts like that, well, well, I just don't expect it from Christians. I find that same sort of thing myself. I expect to get a hard time from unbelievers. But when Christians say and do cruel and vindictive things, I find myself crushed. Ask my wife, when I go home and they've done that to me, I feel completely crushed. And so Peter's question is quite something. If a Christian repeatedly and seriously sins against me, how many times should I forgive them? Seven times is remarkably generous. So from the question, second to, if you're taking notes, the answer unlimited forgiveness verses 22 to 35 this is what the parable is about see how many times shall i forgive my brother verse 22 listen to jesus answer i tell you not seven times but 77 times now jesus point here actually is that there should be no limit to our forgiveness it's not that i should forgive 77 times and then no more Jesus isn't saying that when I've forgiven someone 74 times that they only have three more forgiveness credits in their account with me. We're not to, you know, send an email. Dear Christian, as you know, over the years I've forgiven you 74 times. I've kept a record. And so I'm giving you fair warning that you only have three more strikes and then you're out. And that does sound ridiculous when I put it like that. And yet, 
That is what we do. We do keep a record of wrongs. And if you're not yet convinced, just listen to yourself in a moment of anger, a moment of frustration. Outcome all the previous hurts that you've stored away. And there's another thing we say. And what about the time when you... This is the last straw. Oh, I've remembered all the other straws. I've been so patient in the past. I've let it go again and again. I just can't keep taking it from you. You've hurt me too much. See, when those things come tumbling out of our mouths, it is a window into our heart. And as I look through the window, it shows I've been counting up the times that I've forgiven. But Jesus says in God's kingdom, you must keep forgiving because that is how our God treats us. That's the point of the parable that follows. And there's three things in this parable that we need to learn. The first is the king's lavish grace in forgiving debts. This is verses 23 to 27. Let me read it for us again. Verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. It is a remarkably gracious act. Uh, the thing at the end, as he forgives this huge debt, is remarkably gracious. But actually, every detail fleshes out the king's lavish grace. The king is so magnanimous at every single point. In verse 25, the king ordered that the servant and his family be sold into slavery. See, he could easily have just thrown the man into jail. But no, he wasn't going to do that. He was going to sell his family into slavery. Not the appalling slavery that Wilberforce battled against 200 years ago. This is much more like being a household servant. It wouldn't have been such a terrible thing. So even this is a remarkable, gracious act at that point. But of course, all the more as we consider the debt that he was willing to eventually write off. See, verse 24, the servant owed 10,000 talents. Now, a talent was the, the highest denomination of currency in the ancient Greco-Roman world. And 10,000 was the highest name numeral. So 10,000 talents is the largest amount of money Jesus can express. It's the biggest number he can, he can get hold of that anybody can relate to. Today, if we were talking about it, we'd simply say somebody owed trillions and trillions of pounds. The current national debt is 1.56 trillion pounds. This servant owed even more than that, trillions and trillions of pounds. It was a debt he could never repay. I wonder if you heard uh, the news story uh, last week of a couple from Scunthorpe who, wore, who won one million pound on the lottery for the second time. Did you hear about that? Now, if you think that's amazing, there's a lady called Joan Ginther from Texas who won four huge lottery wins. She won $5.4 million in 1993 on Lotto, Texas. Then she won another $2 million in Holiday Millionaire in 2006. $3 million was her next payout in 2008. 
and she won a staggering 10 million in extreme payoff in 2010. My reason for telling you about Joan Ginther is not so that you write letters to her, or even so that you go and buy a lottery ticket yourself, but to say that even if the person in the parable was as lucky as Joan Ginther, he still wouldn't have had had anywhere near enough to have paid off the debt. He still would have fallen way short, a debt of trillions of pounds. And the point of the parable is that spiritually, that is how we all stand before the Lord God Almighty. Jesus tells the story because that's how much we are in debt to the Father because of all our sin. He gives us every breath we take. Everything we have comes from him, every good gift. And we take and take and take from him without barely acknowledging him. We run up a huge debt by living our lives our way. It's like living in a lavish hotel complex, eating the food, using all the facilities, the gym, the swimming pool, the golf course, using it all and never paying and never even thanking the owner. That is largely how we live our lives. We owe the king of the universe a huge debt. Yet what a gracious God. Cancelling a debt of that magnitude, it displays his enormous grace. But remember how costly it was to cancel the debt. This is what we were thinking about all last weekend as we enjoyed the the, the death, the, the, the cross of Jesus Christ. See, it wasn't just a matter of putting a line through a ledger to cancel our debt. To have that debt cancelled cost Jesus his life on the cross. As we look at the cross, we must remember that while forgiveness is free, it is not cheap. The king's lavish grace is quite something. And I would guess there are some here this morning and you're only too aware of your sin. Uh, You think you're so bad you couldn't possibly be forgiven. Well, listen to this parable and hear this. Yes, you can. Even you can be forgiven. You may be weighed down by the guilt of your past. You, you, you think about it from time to time. Maybe often you think about the things you've done, the way you've treated others, the hurt you've caused people, the crimes that no one else knows about, but you know about it. Your debt is huge and you know it. Listen to this parable. You can be forgiven. Isn't that wonderful? And if you're not sure how you can or really that you can, then as Gareth mentioned earlier, come to Christianity Explored. Come and join us from the 5th of May. Come and hear about how you can be forgiven, know complete forgiveness by Jesus Christ. But for others of us here, and my hunch is this is most of us, we probably think we're not that bad. You may be a Christian, but over the years you've started to think you're a pretty decent person. You probably, from time to time, look at others and think, In comparison to them, you're a pretty decent human being. And compared to others, you might well be, but that's not the point, is it? Compare yourselves to God. And the reason we need to do that is if you think you're really quite good, you're in a very dangerous place. Because it is only when we grasp the enormity of the debt that has been cancelled that we will be willing to forgive others, no matter what they do to us. And that's what we see in the next part of the parable. Secondly, the second point from the parable, the outrage of failing to forgive. 
verses 28 to 31. Look at verse 28. When that servant, the one who's just been forgiven trillions of pounds, when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could, could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. It is a brilliantly told story. The second servant pleads for mercy. Did you notice? With exactly the same words that the first servant had used. Just compare verse 26 with verse 29. They're almost identical. The same pleading, and yet this time an unwillingness to cancel the debt. And let's not miss the the important detail here. The debt the second servant owed was a tidy sum. 100 denarii, we're told in verse 28. Now, denarius was at the daily minimum wage, so 100 denarii was no small amount. The NIV footnote is, I think, unhelpful here in telling us that it was just a few pounds. But 100 days' wages is not a small amount to most of us. Today, the minimum wage is £6.50 an hour. For an eight-hour day, that's £52. I got my calculator out and was able to work that out. And so 100 days' wages is £5,200. Now, that's a significant sum of money, not to be sneezed at. It's just that it's a ludicrously small amount compared with the trillions of pounds the first servant had cancelled. But Jesus tells it that way because sins committed against us can still seem quite significant. It's not that they're nothing. It's not that they're just a few pounds. If I were owed 5,200 pounds, I'd be really bothered about it. Just as we are all, I guess, really upset when we are significantly hurt. So how should we react? Well, Jesus intends this story to enrage his followers. Look how mad the other servants were. Verse 31 again. When the other servants saw what had happened, that is that this first servant wouldn't forgive the second servant much, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything. Greatly distressed. See, the other servants were outraged that the first servant refused to cancel what was a relatively small debt compared to the whopping fortune that he'd been cancelled. We too should be livid when we see that happen. Yet so often Christians don't view it that way. Again, it was years ago, long before I was here, a Christian last came to see me, having been treated really badly at work. And as we chatted about what she should do, she told me a Christian friend had advised her to, and I quote, screw your boss for everything you can get and make his life hell. What a terrible thing for a Christian to advise another Christian to do. Now look, please don't mishear me. In the workplace, there are grievance procedures and correct and legal ways of dealing with disputes. And I'm not saying that a Christian should never go down those routes. But for a Christian to advise another Christian with such venomous and ungracious language is simply unacceptable in the kingdom of God. And while that may be an extreme response, my experience is that very often Christians don't advise other Christians well. When we meet with a Christian friend who's been hurt, really badly hurt because they've been really badly treated, what do we say to them? 
This parable tells us we must advise them to forgive. We must advise them to be reconciled to their brother or sister in Christ. We will be the best friend to them if we tell them to do that rather than what normally happens is to kind of take the side of our Christian friend and sympathise with them and, and, and agree with them that they shouldn't really forgive their Christian friend. Like the other servant in the parable in verse 31, we should be outraged when a Christian won't forgive another because we have been forgiven so much. How can you not forgive someone else, we should say to them. And we should not only say that to them, but if they refuse to forgive this other, we should fear for them. But you see, if we refuse to forgive, we must face up to the third thing that we learn from this parable, the frightful fate awaiting the unforgiving which is verses 32 to 35. As we look at these last verses, it seems to me if people believe in God at all today, they believe in a God who loves everyone and never gets angry about anything. Well, listen to the truth about the king of the universe as Jesus has revealed him. As we've already seen, the one true God is full of lavish love and grace But we also need to see, and we see it here in this parable, he is a God of justice. And so when people refuse to follow him, one day his righteous anger will be seen as a just punishment on a final day of judgment. Verse 32. The master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And of course, that would be never. He would never be able to pay back all he owed if he were in jail, for he'd never be able to earn any money to pay it back. And then in a devastating end to the parable, Jesus said, verse 35, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Now, please don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. He's not teaching some sort of salvation by forgiveness. Jesus is not teaching that if I'm a kind of forgiving person, then I'll be forgiven. No, there's only one way I'm forgiven. It's through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and turning my life over to him. But Jesus is saying, if I refuse to forgive another, then it just demonstrates I clearly haven't understood the gospel. I clearly am not living the gospel. I clearly haven't really turned to the Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness. Remember how Jesus taught us to pray. In the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. That is a very dangerous prayer to pray if I refuse to forgive others. Because then I'm saying, well, don't forgive me then, God. And the really troubling thing is that if I act like that, then it suggests that I don't really know the gospel myself. May God save all of us from ever behaving like the servant in Jesus' story here. So how can we live as we should? How can we go on forgiving? Where can we find the resources to forgive and forgive and forgive even more than seven times? We need to look at the cross. Just as we were doing last weekend, We need to look at the cross and remember the extraordinary forgiveness that we have in Christ. We need to see the extent that Jesus went to to bring us forgiveness. He died on a cross for goodness sake. And when we see just how much we've been forgiven, 
That's where we find the resources to forgive others. For whatever anyone has done against me, even those who are repeat offenders against me, they cannot have committed anywhere near as great a crime against me as I have against my Lord. Let's pray together. Well, in a moment, we're going to use the um, prayer of confession that is on the service order on page three. Before we do, let me leave a moment of silence for you to make your own response to the Lord. Uh, You may be one of those people in this congregation who've had terrible things done to you. And it is very, very hard to hear this, very hard to forgive someone. If that's you, don't feel condemned, but ask God to help you. Ask him to help you to want to forgive. And then there'll be others here who haven't forgiven for, for a long time and refuse to. Well, in this moment of silence, ask God to show you the size of your debt before him and let that then melt your own heart and see that you really do need then to forgive whoever it is has hurt you. A moment of silence for you to make your own response to the Lord. now on the service order, the prayer of confession, please join with me in the bold type. Our Father in heaven, judge of all the earth, we confess that apart from your mercy we stand under the righteous condemnation and judgment. Father, humble us, forgive us and help us. Our Father in heaven, fount of all mercy, We confess that even as we claim your mercy, we often fail to be merciful, taking upon ourselves your role as judge as we condemn others with our words or in our thoughts. Father, humble us, forgive us, and help us. Our Father in heaven, Lord of all compassion, we're too often too proud to see clearly to help our brothers and sisters when they sin. Father, humble us, forgive us, and help us. Help us to rediscover our identity in Jesus, served by him through his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins, and send us out to serve humbly, with fresh purpose, with mercy and compassion, for the praise of your glory. Amen. And then we'll join together in praying the Lord's Prayer, but uh, let's just think before we do about this line that we will pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And if you're here as someone who refuses to forgive someone else, it might be right that you don't join in this prayer, for you'll only be asking God not to forgive you. But for those of us who feel we can, we pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Well, in just a moment, we're going to sing our last hymn, our last song together. Before we do, let me um, 
uh, hold this book up and encourage you to think about getting a copy. It is a book uh, that is very short. It's only got uh, 48 pages. As a result, I've managed to read it twice. It is a brilliant little book. It's called Forgiveness. It's by somebody called Julia Marsden. She happens to be a friend of mine. I think it is fantastic. It might be small, but it is brilliant. Uh, Adrian Reynolds says, this book is a small but precious gem. And if you're either struggling with forgiveness for yourself or simply want to think more about this, I'd encourage you to get a copy. There are copies uh, over in the uh, atrium uh, as you go through the double doors just on your left. They're only £1.50 each. Of course, if you don't pay, we'll forgive you. Uh, (laughs) But let me encourage you to get a copy.